So this morning we're reading from John chapter 6, verse 25 to 42, and verses 60 to 69. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Uh, verse 60 to 69. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offence at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Thanks so much for reading that. And it's so great to speak to you this morning. This ear is a little bit blocked, so I'm not sure if I'm talking too loudly. So if I am, would you cover your ears or do something? Or maybe I'll just watch Wendy. She'll, she's, she's pretty good at giving me advice. This is about satisfaction in God. I feel like I'm probably the least qualified to give this because many times I'm dissatisfied. I lack contentment myself. Let me give you two examples. Yesterday, just after I'd had a conversation with Wendy, maybe we should just cut down on spending for a bit after Christmas. You know, who, who else is doing that, had that conversation? Yep. We should just settle back a bit with our spending. Was mowing the lawn. The lawnmower picked up a stone and threw it into the back of our car and smashed the back window of the car. In an instant, my contentment, my satisfaction went zero. Like I was, I just wanted to scream and, and go, why, Lord? What's, what are you doing? 
Let me give you another example. During the pandemic, we lived in a, a beautiful part of the world just renting for six months in Avoca, in Avoca Beach. And I got obsessed with something as I walk along the beach. I got obsessed with all those big houses on the beachfront. I don't know if you find that too. And I, all of them are empty, except for maybe barristers who come up for the long weekend sort of thing. As I, I walked, I was getting more and more discontent and more and more dissatisfied. And it was revealing some things in me. So I don't feel, I, I'm not speaking as an expert here. I'm speaking as a fellow pilgrim. I'm guessing that you, just because you're human, you struggle with being satisfied and you want more. I want you just to spend a moment just talking to the people around you. And this is a, a simple question. What steals your contentment? whether it's an instant or whether it's over a long period of time, what are the things that steal your contentment? Just talk now for a, for a few. Okay. Can you call out some of the things, just as one word? What are the things that steal your contentment and satisfaction? Call them out. Comparison. Yeah, what else? Wife's list of jobs. Yeah, what else? Being unorganized. Change. Yeah. Yeah, monotony. Okay, interesting. All right, let me introduce you someone who's very interesting. Uh, he has probably the most interesting hobby when, when he was alive. He's not alive anymore. But Michel Lolito, the most unusual hobby, he used to eat things. He would eat all sorts of stuff that was metal or glass. And here's a list of some of the, some of the things that he, he ate. 18 bicycles. 15 supermarket trolleys, 7 TV sets, and a, the list goes on. Even an aeroplane. Now, interesting, what an unusual hobby. He could, he could digest, or not digest, he could pass through his body almost a kilo of things a day. Now, he's died, but it got me asking this question. The next slide, please, Ruth. And that is, are we a little bit like this? About, you know, we spend our lives consuming what we know won't ultimately satisfy us. Crazy as it is, are we, am I a little bit like that myself? There's many people here, you're, you're, you're all from different backgrounds. And so there are the people who are curious, maybe you're curious to find out about Jesus. Maybe you're a little skeptical, maybe someone's brought you here. And then there are those of us here who are following Jesus and we're wanting to know how to apply it daily. And so, if we look at the passage again, we say, we see that all these three are in the, as Jesus was talking, which is amazing. There were those who were curious, they'd had a feed, and they were just wondering what Jesus might do next. And then there were those who were skeptical, those often who were Pharisees or teachers or, or, or others who said, this is too hard. This is too hard. We're, we're not going to go ahead with this. And then there were those who were followers of Jesus. And as Jesus spoke to all those at the same time, I'm hoping that each of you, no matter why you're here this morning, that you would get something out of this. So as I open the word, and I thank you for those who have encouraged me this morning and saying I've been praying for you. Yes, so, so good to wrestle again with the scripture, isn't it? And it's tricky, but we have to wrestle with it. It was written 2,000 years ago to people very different to us in a very different type of lifestyle. And so we've got to unravel it, understand it as best we can. So let me just pray that God would speak to you.
personally today through his word. Lord, I, I thank you for this story and for how you are at work, even your living word is at work, even in the stories and the episodes in Jesus' life as they come alive again to us uh, as we read it. Please give me the words to say in Jesus' name, amen. So let's just recap the story. The video showed that um, because it's all linked. Jesus is on a mountainside, everyone's getting hungry and they need a meal. The town is a long way away, there's no McDonald's out there and so what they have to do is be fed. And as we saw, it's a huge task. No one had anything except a boy, a little boy with five loaves and two fish. And so that sets up the story. And then the next part of the story is, uh, and this is context too, Jesus crosses the lake. They're all interested to see what Jesus was going to do next. And some of them wanted to make him king, you know, grab him. And Jesus saw that. And so his disciples had set off and Jesus maybe spent time with the Lord, I don't know. But he went across the lake and met them five kilometers in the middle of the lake. Like, freak out. That's amazing. What, you know, here he is walking in water again. And he's about to walk past them. And he says, oh, no, don't fear. It's I. I am. And he's going back to that old, the I am of the Old Testament. So hugely significant. So, and then we get to the story that uh, uh, Maria read to us. And that is people are chasing Jesus to ask him questions. They're really, really curious. Uh, firstly, um, uh, they, they're asking him about how he got there. Um, and Jesus loves questions. And you saw those three people at the beginning, those who are curious, those who are sceptical, those who are followers of Jesus. All of us have questions. And Jesus is not afraid of big, hard questions. So, um, so here they are chasing Jesus across the lake and they start to quiz him about how he arrived before them. Jesus sees their motives and uses this moment to teach them. They want another meal like they had on the mountainside. That was a free meal and it was probably pretty delicious because Jesus had his hands on it. Um, and so Jesus uses that moment to say, well, don't, don't work for food that spoils. Work for food that will really satisfy, that will satisfy for eternity. So much of what we do is a chasing after the wind. Last week, I think you looked at Ecclesiastes, chasing after the wind. And we go after things that our heart wants, but they're not necessarily good for us. What could possibly last? What could possibly last? What did Jesus have in mind when he was talking about that? And in verse 28, uh, they finally ask, what must we do to, to do, do what God requires? In other words... How do we please God? How do we live a life worthy, a good life, a, a satisfying life? How do we do that? A one that God approves. What must we do? And I guess like us, we don't want to waste our life. We don't want to just waste it running after frivolous things. Now, in the context here, the ruling uh, religious people at the time were the Pharisees. And they had lots of rules. In, in fact, uh, 613 rules about how to please God. And so I, I guess they were asking in that context, how do we please God? Look at all these rules. 
And so the simplicity of Jesus' answer really cuts through, and it cuts through to us today. What must we do to do the work that God requires? How did Jesus answer? The work of God is this. Can I have a drum roll? The work of God is this, is to believe in the one he sent. To believe. Now, if I was waiting, maybe I was, maybe those people then were waiting for something much bigger or grander or more impressive than just believe. Believe, like it's, it's so simple, it, but it's so hard. Couldn't he say something more definite or like something else? But believe, of course, the, when they heard that, the crowd sent wanted, a, wanted another sign. Like, if we're to believe, then do another magic trick for us. Then we'll believe. But they'd seen Jesus' uh, power displayed many times. And still, they didn't believe, some of them. So they're waiting for something to believe. We can't wait for something to believe. It is a, it is a leap. It is a gap that we've got to jump over. And so... Jesus starts to use their questions to teach them. They, they start talking about the manna in the desert. You know, can you do a trick like God did with the... <laughs> you know, can, can you feed everyone like, well, like, like God did, like you just did then? And so, for us to understand when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, which we'll get to in a moment, let's understand first bread. How does the Scripture understand bread? Because it turns up a lot in Scripture. Let's use the example they, they talk. And the next slide, yeah. Manna in Exodus, the Israelites had gone out from Egypt and they were in the desert for some time and they started to get fearful. How are we going to survive? This is no, you know, and they started grumbling. And so God gave them manna through Moses and they, they got it six days a week and then on the seventh, they, they, they didn't get any. And so it's an act of faith. So it, through this, they understood when you think of manna, you're thinking everyday provision. God provides every day what we need. Just the basic manna bread. And then we also see bread with the story of Elijah uh, in 1 Kings 17. And there's a drought in the land and God told Elijah, go to a widow, she's going to feed you. He gets there and she says, well, I'm preparing my last meal and I'm, then we're going to lie down and die. That's not, that's not a great way to run a restaurant, is it? <laughs> uh, and so he said, well, well, make me something. and Make me a small loaf first and then just trust me. And what, go, what happens is that she keeps making every day the bread for him. And the oil and the flour never runs out. So when you talk to Jews about bread, they're also thinking Elijah and this, this thing that never runs out. It just keeps going just keeps going and going and going it's endless and then we see how Jesus uses bread in the New Testament really quickly he's tempted uh, he sees rock and the devil says why don't you turn that rock into bread and he says no I don't need bread because God doesn't live by bread alone and then we also see him as he teaches his disciples to pray give us today our daily bread give us our daily bread so all this context is so important daily daily bread and then at the end uh just before he goes to the cross the last supper 
which goes back before the manna, actually, when they were going to bake that, that bread before they fled into, to, um, in, into the desert. Jesus reuses that meal to say, look, this bread is my body. I'm what you need. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to sustain you for eternity. So Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And the Jews are thinking all these things. I'm the bread of life. In other words, I'm the fundamental thing you need every day. I never run out. I'm, I have unlimited resources. I'll sustain you for eternity. I have forgiven you. And you can be at peace with God because my body is broken. I am the bread of life. That's what Jesus was meaning. Now, what's the trouble with bread? <laughs> it's got, um, the trouble with bread is... It's not that exciting. Like, why didn't Jesus say, um, uh, why didn't Jesus say, uh, hang on. Why didn't Jesus say, um, I'm the pizza of life. I'm the vanilla slice of life. I mean, it's, bread isn't as interesting as pavlova, is it? Why didn't Jesus say those things? Human nature is to chase the next food fad, the next fad, the next exciting, shiny thing, the yummy things. TV and the internet are all about that. Why didn't Jesus say he was the vanilla slice or the cheesecake of life? He chose these words very carefully, I guess because bread translates across the ages, not uh, I don't know if people will be talking about vanilla slice in 2,000 years, although some shops make a really good vanilla slice, don't they? Um, he said, I'm the bread of life. I mean, pizza's great. I love it. I love pizza. I love vanilla slice. However, we th when I think about it, we tend to make good things into ultimate things, don't we? You can't live on vanilla slice or pizza. They tried that, you know, with someone living off McDonald's, uh, month after month, and they, they almost died. They, all their body systems shut down because it was so bad for them. We need... Um, these. We make good things into ultimate things, and Tim Keller uh, uh, used this as a one definition of sin, of saying we elevate good things into ultimate things. Pizza's great, or vanilla slice's great, but it's not every day. It's not every day. We look for contentment in joy and joy in things that simply cannot ultimately satisfy us. They will let us down. The things we chase after, pizza, new cars, perfect holidays, sex, living in, in a better suburb, more clothes, a good job, a new next Netflix series. All these things will leave us somehow wanting more, dissatisfied. We need something much more significant to captivate us for life. We need a cause and a purpose much bigger than ourselves. 
that way we will be sustained. Jesus claims he's it. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am what will satisfy you. It's a bold claim. Who else said I am? Not, not many people use that. I think Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest. And people went, <laughs> he's the greatest boxer, but not the greatest. Jesus used seven I am's. And I am the bread of life is just one of them. Where he claims he is the ultimate. He is it. So what does it mean when Jesus said to believe in me? To believe in the one he sent? To believe in, in me as, as God's son? What does to believe in mean? That's the crux of this. Let me give, a, give you an example. And I knew, always know there'll be a spare seat at the front. Does this chair look good? Yep. Does it look strong enough? What do you think? Yep, it's, it's made of metal. It's got plastic. It feels all right. So I can talk about the chair all day that... I think it's a great chair. How would you know if I could trust the chair? I would have to sit on it. Yeah. It's going to be okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> how, do we, how do we believe in Jesus? Belief and trust are... Uh, both action words, they're, they're, they're both so linked to believe, sort of the more action one is trust. I'm going to trust Jesus. So what could trust look like here? So if we're trusting God for our daily bread, a, as the scripture says, we're trusting that he will give our basic needs. He give us what we need. And so our faith response could be, because I've got what I need, I can be generous. I can be generous to others. I can give more than I have in the past. Because I have faith that God is going to supply my daily needs. Or to trust God for your contentment and satisfaction. That he is good. He's not withholding things from you. He's not holding things, good things back from you. So as you grow in trust, we can be grateful and look for good things everywhere around in our lives. And another response of trusting God to believing that he is the bread that will satisfy is to trust God for forgiveness. Being at peace with God is the ultimate satisfaction. That's where you'll be satisfied, when you're at peace with God and with others. There's nothing that destroys contentment more than when you realize that you're not at peace. Try going to bed with your spouse when you're not at peace. It's a very lonely space in the middle. <laughs> so accept Jesus' forgiveness. Accept his peace. That's a way to respond in faith. 
Jesus is the real deal. The point of Jesus, uh, John's account is to show us that Jesus is who he says he is. I am the bread. The, his signs of authority and power gave credibility to his words. He fed 5,000 and then he said, I am the bread of life. He raised a friend from the dead and then he said, I am the resurrection and the, and the life. He healed people who were blind and couldn't. And, and then he said, I am the light of the world. So they weren't empty words. He was the real deal because he backed it up with his signs. So what could it look like for you today? Just believe in me, Jesus said. <laughs> believe in me. Believe in the one that God sent. That's, that's what Jesus said. It's a bit frustrating, as we said. <laughs> I wish he'd been said something different in a way. Um, other religions um, seem to be more certain. Like if you just pray five times a day, that'll, that'll get you right with God. Or if you give, do more good than bad, then that'll get you right with God. But Jesus simply says, believe. It's a challenge you never get far from this in your Christian faith. You're coming back to this. How do I trust in Jesus today? Today. When you feel the weight of discontentment and dissatisfaction in your life, and you're tempted to solve it yourself by chasing a new shiny thing, this is an opportunity. Ask, what does God, Jesus, think about this? How can I trust Jesus in this? Let's get back to the story of Avoca. And I was walking along the beach and I was obsessed with all those big houses. Basically because I didn't have one. <laughs> Let's be honest. And could never afford one. Over a period of time, as I was praying to God about it, it was like a tap on the shoulder from God and saying, look the other way. And I looked the other way. On my left were all the houses. On my right was the most beautiful sunrise you could imagine. Beautiful clouds, uh, the, the pale light as the sun just topped the horizon. And it was there that I realized how important it is where I focus. I can focus on the discontent and the dissatisfaction or I can focus on what God has already given me in gratitude. And I think many of us are living in our heads, in our heads, uh, in the past, with regret or disappointment, or we're living with fear of the future, wondering how on earth it's all going to happen. Maybe how we'll make, you know, have enough in super or what I'll do with my studies. And we're living in those places. And God is saying, come to the present. Come to now. My presence is with you. I am enough right now. You have air. You have water. You have breath. You have family. You have joy. Find them now. I don't know what your year ahead looks like. I'm going to suggest a few scenarios that might help you just land these ideas 
and try and figure out where's a point of faith where God wants to grow me? Where's an opportunity? Where, I'm, where am I discontent? Where am I struggling right now? There's an opportunity for God to teach me something so important I need to know about his satisfaction that he will ultimately satisfy me. So let, let me paint a few pictures. Maybe you're starting something new this year. Maybe something God has led you to, but you're not sure that you have enough to sustain it. You're not sure that you're enough. Will you have what it takes? You're not sure. A job, difficult study, new year at school, new responsibilities. What does it mean for you to trust Jesus in that? Maybe you have health concerns, awaiting a diagnosis or facing some uncertain surgery. You feel alone in this. How could you find satisfaction and hope right now today? What does it mean to trust in Jesus today? Maybe you're considering a big purchase this year, <laughs> something you've wanted for a while, uh, something that will probably put you in greater debt, something you've always thought would make you happy and fulfilled. Will it? <laughs> will it? What's the ultimate cost of it? What does it mean to trust in Jesus today about what will make you happy, what will bring you joy? Or maybe you're feeling old, a bit like me today. I've got a sore back, I've got a sore ear. Everything seems to fall in a heap all at once. Um, a tired body seems to be fragile and worn out. Is that you today? And maybe you're feeling a bit irrelevant or useless to your community even. You couldn't you can't do what you used to do. How can you trust Jesus today? Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with the weight of the world in a complete mess, just as Carol prayed. Everything seems out of control. Famine, war, skirmishes, power struggles, greed. How can you trust in God today? And maybe you've been trying to find contentment in all the wrong places. This is the last one. You've tried, but you're still feeling empty. You've been chasing after the wind, as it says in, in Ecclesiastes, but you've come up empty. Jesus says, follow me. I am the bread. I will ultimately satisfy you for eternity. Can you put your trust in Jesus? I pray you can. If you want to talk more about that, come to, to Pete or Evan or I or uh, other people after the service and, and chat about that. Maybe this is the first time you've thought uh, about finding satisfaction in Jesus for your whole life. And here's a body of people who have found that to be true. Although it's a wrestle still. <laughs> it's a wrestle understanding that. So, so as we finish, let's go back to where we started and the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. That boy with the five loaves and the two fish. And it was an impossible task. I mean, Philip says, no, that's eight months' wages, like $40,000, $50,000 or something. I don't know what, what it would be today. But a little boy gives two fish and five loaves of bread, little barley loaves. How ridiculously stupid <laughs> when you think about it. I mean, that's not going to feed everybody. 
but he put it in Jesus' hands. It was that he put it in Jesus' hands. He put his trust in Jesus. And actually, the story is very deliberate in saying, well, it fed everyone, and there were 12, 12 uh, basket loads left. There was more than enough. You are, in Jesus' hands, you are more than enough to, rest, to have a satisfactory life, to live a life worthy of the calling God's given you, to live satisfied. Just to finish up, uh, Rach is going to come and we're going to give you a, a bit of time to think about this. Where can you trust Jesus today? Today, our daily bread. Where do you need to trust Jesus today? And just have a moment before God and, uh, and bring, bring your life to God now.